Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And And you're you're about about to get get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 48 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where Caesar Zappelli learns Bubble Beam. Whoa, man. Is he, like, level... Oh, man. I don't even know what level... Uh, uh, Quick aside, away from the, the, the comedy gold that is usually here... I don't actually know what level Squirtle learns Bubble Beam, or is that a well, it's special change through the years? Is it like a TM where he learns it later on? Oh, hold on, we're going to discuss this off camera. Let, let's just go ahead and jump in. Perfect. That's magnificent. All right, everybody. <laughs> We uh we went and discussed uh some Pokemon stuff and we're back to to talk about um a ridiculous ridiculous television show. <laughs> yeah. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure continues to live up to the bizarre part of its name. Um I guess yeah. technically the JoJo and the adventure part as well, but definitely the bizarre part. Um although yeah. I will say I think my favorite JoJo's episode so far has been in here. Or, like, my favorite JoJo's fight. I still remember the first three episodes being particularly good. But uh, my yeah. favorite fight, I think, is in, in this episode. In these yeah, episodes. It, it really, really shows off a character that is using his power and also fighting with actual thought behind his movements. Uh-huh. Which we have not seen before now. Yeah, usually, <laughs> you, I think the biggest criticism... Well, I, you know, we've had a lot of criticisms for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And I think I speak for both of us when I say that we've enjoyed it, um, but not like what we expected to. Um, And I think we hold out hope that it gets a little bit more consistently good and a little bit less consistently ridiculous. Um, So I guess we'll find out. But uh, yeah, I think this is the first fight where it didn't feel like there were just like ass pulls left and right, which... If you're not familiar with what an ass pull is, it's a pretty common term. I think there's a TV tropes page for it, but it's essentially the idea of the writer pulling something out of thin air. And a lot of the times in these fights, characters will exhibit wildly uh, random abilities and they will come up with really, truly harebrained schemes and then... A lot of the time, especially recently, that it'll try to like shoehorn in this idea that the characters had this scheme from the beginning, and it just doesn't work. It's just too outrageous, and too unrealistic, and it kind of breaks that like suspension of disbelief agreement that we as audience members have with the story and the person telling the story. And I think yeah. this fight was the first one that didn't do that at all, ever, and was consistently yeah. engaging. It was paced well. It was a really good fight. Yeah. Um, and uh, going into this uh, these episodes this week, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you haven't seen yet, uh, we are on a new platform, uh, Buzzsprout. Um, and it is going pretty well so far. Um, uh, I have found their... their uh, the way that they do things and the way that their support works with you really well. So if you're a fellow podcaster that's looking for a new place to 
um, put your podcast out there, I would recommend this one. Uh, they're they're pretty easy to work with. Yeah, I don't want to um, throw shade on anybody, but we had some trouble with Podomatic as we went along. Um, oh, yeah. They were great for us as like a burgeoning podcast. And if you're looking to do like a limited run or something, they're a good, as good an option as any. But um, the longer we've gone, the less it has worked out for us with Podomatic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just to be aware that the, the podcast... The podcast, uh, the way that most podcasts work is that they they need basically an unlimited supply of uh, space or a very large amount of space to start putting their shows, especially if there's something episodic where um, uh, they people might need to go back to the very start or listen from the very start to get it. Our podcast very much does that. We have shows that we've been doing, you know. For weeks and weeks and weeks now. Yeah, I mean Naruto and, and Hunter X Hunter, they've they are constant. Like, that's from episode two and episode four, and they've been yeah. And you know, we've we've had compliments as well on like um, having a full compendium to a couple of Bebop has been really cool. Yeah, um, because like if you want to listen to people talk about the entire series of a show, they can do that. Um, and podcast was charging for space. Uh, Podomatic was charging for space instead of just charging like how many times you can post per month. Um, and I, I think that that's a little bit of an antiquated model, um, and it's not really supportive of actual podcasters. Um, it's more supportive of people that, you know, want to do it for six months and then want to stop doing it forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, not to throw too much shade. Uh, second thing, uh, foreversummerproduction.com is live. Um, we do have uh, our show as well as the podcast on the page. Um, I keep on tinkering with it, so please, 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 as you go to the site, um, tell me what you think of it. Tell me like things that you do and don't like about it so I can keep on tweaking it. Um, and then uh, the last thing on here is kind of a cool announcement that has to do with this show. Blake, I believe you put this in the notes. Uh. Oh, yeah. Um, so the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, as you know, uh, well, I guess uh, if you've been listening to us talk about it, we've talked about this before. It's kind of an anthology series. Um, we're currently in essentially season two. It depends on where you look as to whether or not it's designated as season two. Um, but basically, it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure part two. Um, and that is the second like generation of characters that we're following. Um, the show has four of those parts covered and it was just announced this week that part five has been picked up for a show, which I know for people who have been, um, watching Jojo's Bizarre Adventure or who are interested in it, that's been a big question for a while. Um, I don't know a hundred percent. I'm not up on the manga and where it is and, and what its release is like as compared to a possible anime adaptation, but I've been seeing people mention, the fact that season five hasn't been announced for a while, um, several months now, at least. Uh, and so season five was just announced this week. That is, I also, I'm as fairly confident is the uh, first season with a female Jojo as the protagonist. So that's also pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, yeah that's going to be coming be down the pipe. for the nerd rage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nerd culture does not handle female protagonists very well. So, uh, that's not if great. You want to see a case in, if you want to see a case in point of that, or, you know, I, I say you want to see, but if you're listening to the show, you obviously already know about the Doctor Who uh, backlash. 
or um, Ghostbusters. Uh, Strangely yeah. enough, not Ocean's Eight. Yeah, but. yeah. Ocean's Eight was really well uh, accepted, and I think it's just because at at this point people are just like not as upset about it anymore. But yeah, hopefully I, I read something about that. Um, they they posited essentially that Ocean's the Ocean series is only like a decade old instead of like something from people's childhoods and something like Ghostbusters where people have or like Star Wars or whatever where people get upset because they want it their way and like it's been a part of their lives. Whereas the Ocean series like isn't old enough to have been a part of anybody's life for like that long or that significantly, um, mm-hmm. and I think that makes sense. It wasn't as high stakes for people, so like, I get it when something that you love doesn't turn out the way you want it to. I kind of have those feelings about the way Naruto ended, but uh, you know it happens, and uh, I think people need to chill the fuck out. Uh, well, you're incorrect about Naruto ending because Naruto has not ended; it has just morphed into a more obnoxious into version Boruto. of Naruto. You know, I watched Boruto. the first episode of Boruto and I liked it, but I haven't watched it anymore. Uh, <laughs> it just it devolves so fast into Dragon Ball Z fights, so fast. Okay, you'll, well, you'll Dragon Ball see. Z fights you'll can see. be really good, so I, I'm oh, definitely going to watch some more. Faith in Blake so I, fast. <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch some more in the near future to uh, see yeah. what I think as it goes on. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess we should talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We do have four oh, episodes on, really to cover. Quick. I was going to make a I was going to make oh. a joke about Dragon Ball Super just being about. Oh. How many times you can possibly jump the shark in a season? Okay, because they're I, so, just like, let's put one shark on top of another shark and then jump it. Let's put that shark inside of a tornado and jump the tornado. <laughs> I uh, so I think that now now that you've got me thinking about it, so I I've only seen Boruto's first episode, and I I know that the manga is actually a different story entirely. And I don't know much about it or much about how they're different. Um, And I do know a little bit about Dragon Ball Super. And what's interesting about both of those shows is that they're basically ascended fan fiction. Like, these are shows that take a series and continue it sometime later. And they are written by someone who admires the original creator's work and I guess has the original creator's blessing to a certain extent, but uh, is not the original creator and is, as far as I know, doing it without the original creator's input. I don't know how much Kishimoto or Toriyama had input on the proposed plots and direction of these series, but I know that they're being written by other people and that they are at least largely being helmed by them and directed by them. Which I think is pretty interesting. That's fascinating. I know it's anyway. it's kind of weird. I mean, that does happen, and I mean, obviously, it's less crazy in American comics where writers change constantly. But uh, mm-hmm. for Japanese comics, that is extremely rare, and it's kind of crazy that two of the biggest series have done that. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about our previously on in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, look, I made a little note section for it this time. <laughs> Finally. I know. Uh, this is a long time coming. Uh, so we've got our, our main heroes are JoJo, who is Jonathan Joestar. He is the grandson of the original JoJo from Part 1. Um, he's sort of a street tough from New York who's gotten embroiled in this um, potential global catastrophe um, he has made friends with a guy named Caesar, who coincidentally is Caesar Zappelli, 
the grandson of the guy who taught his grandfather how to use Hamon, and right. somewhat of a Hamon prodigy himself. Um, and then they have both come to train underneath a woman named Lisa Lisa, who is a Hamon master, who we will also learn in this episode has a biological connection to them as well, um, or at least a historical connection. Um, Hamon is what they've been training in. That is this series magic uh, ability uh, maker. I don't know. That was not good. But uh, Naruto has chakra. Dragon Ball Z has chi. Um I don't know. Yu Yu Hakusho has spirit energy. Um, I've been rewatching Yu Yu Hakusho, by the way. It's really good. Anyways, uh, so many battle anime have some form of energy that the characters can manipulate to do crazy things. And this one has Hamon. Hamon has some specific rules. It is based off of breath. So if you can't breathe, you can't use it. Um, It is sort of an embodiment of life energy. So it is anathema to undead beings, which is really important for this series. Uh, it also gets conducted particularly well through, like, water, and that's mentioned a lot, although it never seems to be super relevant. Um, anyway, these characters, Jojo and Caesar, they have been training under Lisa Lisa. They've just gone through a final exam of sorts where they had to fight against and defeat Lisa Lisa's um, other pupils that have been with her for a lot longer. Um, unfortunately, this didn't turn out well for Jojo because the guy he was supposed to fight was killed by one of the Pillar Men. The Pillar Men are the main enemies in this series. Um, they are sort of like super vampires, although they're not exactly the same as vampires, which also exist in this series. Um, there's three of them, SCDC, Whamu, and Cars. Ah, oh, God, the names. Um, so mm-hmm. during the final exam, SCDC came to their little island in Venice and killed uh, Jojo's the guy that he was supposed to fight. Um, And then they had a battle, which Jojo won at the end of this battle, unbeknownst to Jojo, SCDC's brain survived and was latched onto his back and being carried into Lisa Lisa's house on Jojo's back. Uh, The pillar men are seeking out something called the red stone of Aja. And that just happens to be in the possession of Lisa Lisa. Um, if the pillar men gain it, they can essentially become gods. The heroes cannot destroy it because it is said in prophecy that it's needed to defeat the pillar men. So they've got to keep it with them and protect it. Um, the last little bit is that Jojo's being poisoned to death slowly. Um, he had two little vials of time release poison put into his body um, by two of the pillar men, SEDC and Wamu. SEDC was defeated and therefore the, his antidote has been claimed. Wamu his poison is still inside of Jojo's body and the antidote is still on his person. So Jojo still has to claim that. And I think that brings us up to uh, the present today. We're going to cover episodes 18 through 21 and we're going to get started on 18. Yeah. So in the, in the beginning of this episode, there are a couple of unfortunate things that happened pretty quickly. (laughs) Are you going to forget to say the name of the episode? You always do that. Oh my god. Episode 18, um, Von Stronheim's Revenge. Are you okay? Um, Do we need to put this off for some time? Are you sick? I'm fine. Okay. Oh my god. Very concerned. So, um, there are a couple of unfortunate things that are going to happen in this episode. Uh, 
they almost exclusively all of the unfortunate things that happen in this next four episodes happen in this one. Um, and the first one and foremost is that the brain that is riding on the back of Jojo, yes, you heard me correctly, has yeah. taken itself off of Jojo's back and hopped away somewhere. Um, this this woman that's here, There's whose gotta name be an... is Susie Q for some fucking reason. Yeah, I don't know where the author got the idea for these characters' names. Yeah. So this brain, she like sees the tentacle of this weird brain for a second, and she's like, oh, I guess that was nothing. Um, and she sees like, this wild, wild Jojo thing. is like baselessly flirting with her. Like, I, I don't remember uh, Susie Q at all. She might have been seen, but not yeah. named in the past, because I feel like I remember her name, but maybe I don't. But like, yeah. he just comes up to her and he's like, hey, I think we might fall in love. And she's like, why don't you go and fuck yourself? And he's like, if, yeah. If you think my lips are weird, you're going to have to get used to kissing them in case we fall in love. It's so And then weird. eventually she's just like, yes, I do want you. You and are handsome. Leaving. <laughs> and then she, he like looks downstairs and he's like, oh, she's putting away, away some mail. And then he's like, oh, well, he said that she said that Lisa Lisa was taking a bath. I might as well not go in there. But if I don't go in there, I could still stare through this keyhole like yeah. a complete creeper. I might as, as well like, perv out on her. Yeah. Also, with the um, brain running around, I feel like there's a young Frankenstein joke in here that we're not coming up with. So, if yeah. uh, if you as a listener have a young Frankenstein joke for SEDC's disembodied brain, please tweet it at us. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so uh, JoJo this is... episode. <laughs> it's got a little fan service at the beginning. I didn't write notes for this because it wasn't super important, but Lisa Lisa gets in the bath and it's fan service-y. And then JoJo's here trying to, like, stare into her room through the keyhole to look at her in the bath. And this is, like, presumably fairly shortly after he talks to Susie Q. I guess he kind of, like, dithered for a second in his own room or whatever. Um, but he goes to to peep in on her, and he sees Susie Q in there. And Susie Q is clearly... God, I cannot believe I'm having to say Susie Q over and over again. Um, she yeah. is... She's clearly acting weird possessed uh uh-huh. brain monster very obviously possessed by SEDC's brain and um and so let's sorry i was getting distracted by those notes above that um so she real quick like swipes this red stone of asia off of the table and then like she announces she basically reveals that she is being possessed by SEDC and that she has secretly shipped the Redstone of Asia away? Like when did she have time to do this? This is this is a plot hole. Like you can probably no prize this, but like in order for her to have gotten the red stone and shipped it, which it is shown to be wrapped in a package and like addressed. It wasn't just like thrown on a boat. Like it has been shipped with care. Um she would have had to have like discorporated or been in two places at once in order to have done this because this scene establishes her as having to having gone into Lisa Lisa's room to get the stone. And we actually see her move to the table to grab it in the moments before she is confronted and reveals that she has shipped it away. So like, I don't know how this plot hole was allowed because it's pretty obvious, but through some mystery of time and place displacement, she is able to get the stone packaged in a box, wrapped up, addressed to Switzerland, and put on a boat. 
while well, still being in that room. Obviously, ECDC used his power of hot blood to get it out there. That's got to be it. His <laughs> his blood was so hot, he was able to make all that happen. So, uh, anyway, you know, ECDC... You know, he's got them hot blood, pl- hot blood powers. <laughs> um, so, SEDC, his plan now is to delay their ability to follow the boat. Um, With even more hot blood antics. Uh, so, he his plan... He tries this weird gamut where he's going to try and convince Caesar to fight against them by pretending that he's just Susie Q and that they're talking shit about her. Um, so he's like crying and speaking with her normal voice and Caesar's a little confused for a second. And then Jojo and Lisa Lisa are both like, don't listen to him. And he's like, okay, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I didn't believe her anyways. I never believed Susie Q. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I guess she's been around this whole time. We just haven't seen her because they've been here for like a month or more. Yeah. So the thing that's going to happen next is the most obnoxious part of this, which is that she is going to use uh, the hot bu- hot blood powers hot uh, blood to baby like, tonight. rip like rip into her own face and start bleeding all over the room. And at some point, she's going to explode into hot blood and kill everybody. Then they use Hamon of two different types: uh, Jojo hitting from one kind of Hamon. And Caesar hitting from a different kind of ham on to, to nullify the weird brain that comes out of the back of her head. And then Jojo just grabs it and holds it out in the sun. And then he says the dumbest shit. He's like, he's like, yeah, even though his life was terrible, I still respect all the things that he did. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is like this super guy- Japanese. Um, I don't. This comes up at all. a lot in this series. Actually, in these set of episodes, it happens later on again. Basically, a version of this, and it's mm-hmm. just like there is some there's some aspect of Japanese culture where, like, if somebody like devotes themselves passionately and fully to some goal, they are kind of inherently worthy of respect. And I think in our Western society, we we have a similar respect, but we temper that based on what their goal is. And in Japanese culture, there there seems to be some value in just the pursuit, like the wholehearted pursuit of a goal is in and of itself virtuous, even if the goal itself is not. And so Jojo has this like line where he like respects SEDC for living his life according to his ideals even though his he's ideals just gotta were... live his truth y'all yeah he's his... gotta live his truth yeah live your truth man so anyway that's over and uh like it's kind of okay that they do the alternating ham on because it's a callback to their training but it, it is on the borderline of the ass pull that we were talking about in the intro yeah it feels a little bit bullshitty um a little bit but yeah. anyways it's not going to be nearly as terrible as them finding out that this train that uh, that they have been talking about this whole time that has the package on it with the stone inside of it is going away. And the most ridiculous part about it is that as they're leaving, JoJo's like, I'll see you in some time. It might be a long time and you might be old before I get back. And Susie Q is all of a sudden in love with JoJo. And JoJo is all of a sudden in love with her. 
And then he says the most fucking chauvinistic fucking thing where he's just like, you better heal up those terrible wounds on your face before I get back. <laughs> and I was just like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, guy? fuck that guy. Uh, like, this is, the so they have, they, they know to go to Switzerland. I just can't, because... <laughs> I just can't fucking handle that he yeah. says that shit to her. They, this girl that he's already fallen in love with out this of fucking is so, nowhere. Like, so I, you know, I, I've mentioned a few times that I'm reading through the Silver Age of Marvel right now. And there, this is kind of that, like that style of interaction comes up in there too. Like, I feel like I've gotten such a weird insight into how Americans used to do relationships. And number one, they're super chauvinist and they treat women horribly. And they talk about like, like when a, when a female character has like a good idea or is like able to think straight under pressure, they remark about how strange that is for a woman to be able to accomplish those things, which will happen later in this show today as well. And it's fucking frustrating because women are people too. And they can be just as emotional or just as level-headed as men. It's not based on gender, you asshole. But anyway, in the 60s Marvel comics, there's, like, it's fairly frequently, like, the relationship drama is pervasive, which is fine because comic books are soap opera. But, like, there's several instances where, like, characters will propose after having had, like, a very brief relationship where it's, like, you basically, like, have multiple courtships, which is still a thing that people can do, but it's not as common nowadays. Um, and you'll sort of, like, date, and it's just, like, it's sort of once you've decided that this person is more or less good enough, then they're like, okay, well, when are they going to propose to me? Because, like, we put in the work, so I, this is good enough. I guess I'll go for it. It's, like, super weird. And I, I know it's comics, so it's, like, heightened, but it's such a strange sensibility for these days. And it, it seems like the same thing here where it's like, ah, yeah, you're good enough. I kind of am sort of attracted to you. So yeah, let's get married. We're soulmates. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, so does this come from? Yeah. Lisa, Lisa <laughs> probed Susie Q's mind to find out what SEDC's plan was while she was possessed. And that's how they know to go to Switzerland. And uh, then we're going to, we're going to cut away. Oh, sorry. Before they leave to, this was hilarious. It doesn't turn out to be true, but it was so funny where they were like, Lisa, Lisa was like, we have to like, we have to go after them and this is going to be dangerous. We might have to break some laws to get to the train before it gets to them. And also this might be so dangerous that one of us might die. And then it's like, cut to Jojo, <laughs> cut to Caesar, cut to who is that again? And it's like, it's messing of the other trainer guy who wasn't killed. And I'm like, Messin is gonna die. <laughs> it's like that joke in Family Guy where like the Star Trek characters are going down to the planet and they're like, this is dangerous. They might want to kill you. And it's like Captain Kirk and Uhura and a, a dude in a red shirt who doesn't have a name. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. That's quality humor right there. Uh -huh. Anyways. <laughs> They're going to keep on following this train in the end of this episode, and that's that's basically it. Yeah, they, some German soldiers catch up to the train uh, as well, and they they take the package before Jojo and crew can get to it. And then they're like, why don't you meet us at this uh, ski lodge, basically, the ski lodge of Apocalypse. Oh my god, I forgot. 
this happens in this episode. This episode is chock full, you guys. It's got a lot. The next yeah. episode feels like a blitz in comparison to this Well, the next episode, episode is a race toward the brink, after all. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I had forgotten about a couple of things in the next episode. Anyways, <laughs> this episode ends with, uh, with us seeing uh, Cars uh, use his uh, blade arm and predictive wall power. This was cool. To, like, I thought this was yeah. sweet. Like, they, okay, so they, it goes on too long at the build-up, which is essentially <laughs> Cars is standing outside of the wall of the log cabin and being like, I can sense the room's layout, and I can sense there are four people up against the wall, and here are their heights in order. And then there's a guy over there, and here's how tall he is, and I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? But it turns out the reason he's sensing their heights is important, because he's going to slash through the wall and like send out a slicing energy wave into the room so that he can de- decapitate everybody that's in there. And then he can walk in and take what he wants. So it turns out yeah. to be cool, but it's fucking stupid before he goes inside. Yeah. And he kills all these people. He walks inside and then he's like, Oh, who's this other person that's inside of here? I didn't sense him at all. And it is because <laughs> he doesn't cyber- have body heat. <laughs> cyber Strondheim. Yeah, he's, uh, he's Strondheim, who now has cyber arms and a cyber eye, and a, this is, I guess a full cyber body. Yeah, he this can't see his this like, body. Yeah, this guy is the German Nazi soldier that they befriended, and then who who died in battle against the first Pillar Man that they came across earlier, who was a guy named uh, Santaviento. And it turns out that somehow Stroheim, who I'm pretty sure was real dead was resurrected after they left him there and uh, turned into a cyber version of himself. Like he's like a, he's an, no Android. It's a cyborg. He's a cyborg. Uh, And he has been implemented with cybernetic enhancements that are specifically designed to be able to defeat Santviento, which will presumably also be able to defeat cars. Um, And that's going to bring us us to episode 19. Uh, a race towards the brink. Uh, this episode is very silly. Um, in it's that so the dumb. fight scenes, the fight scenes are dumb as fuck. Um, My favorite so, is this first part where Stroheim is like, "I've been turned into the perfect weapon. German engineering is the best. Nothing can surpass it. Nothing can beat the Germans." And then he turns his stomach into a gun. Uh, well, no, no, sorry. No. The, money things happened before this. <laughs> That's right. First and foremost, he's going to swing his blade arm at uh, at Stromheim. Stromheim is going to catch it, and then he's going to reach around and pinch off a piece of his arm for some uh-huh. fucking reason. And he's then just he's like, like, and then he's we like, figured out how many times I need to pinch you for you to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's not verbatim, but it's pretty close. And then he <laughs> turns his torso into a gun. To to shoot him because you know. <laughs> so, anyways, so my favorite is he cars... just keeps waxing about German engineering, and then like he shoots cars a lot, and then cars he sticks out his blade arm, and it begins to glow. And there's this whole thing about like how does it glow, and then it like zooms in, and it turns out it's not glowing; it's just a like it's essentially a super fast chainsaw. And it looks like it's glowing, or I guess you could argue that it is glowing, because the light is glinting off of the fast-moving blades of the chainsaw. 
whatever. Cars immediately uses his chainsaw arm to slice through Von Stroheim with no difficulty or resistance whatsoever. Yeah, and Von he cuts Stroheim, him, like, straight in half. Yes, and Stroheim <laughs> immediately is like, our engineering wasn't enough. <laughs> so and then, funny. And then, while Cars is being distracted for a second, um, Von Stroheim is just like, actually, I'm not even dead. I can't be stopped. I have a fucking laser eye. Yeah, and this so is after like, Cars pulls, pulls the uh, Red Stone of Asia out of his pocket, and he's holding it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he shoots away the Red Stone of Asia out of uh, out of this guy's hand. Be, okay, and then so there is like, a cool aspect of the laser eye, which is that it's ultraviolet rays. Which is what the oh, vampires yeah. are weak to. So that's that's cool. I liked that little touch, but otherwise, what the fuck is going on? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the the redstone of Asia is going to be like falling down this uh, this hillside, and uh, instead of you know chasing after it like a normal person, Jojo is going to like jump into action and be screaming at cars the entire time they run down this hill. <laughs> He, he, yeah, like, what's a good sprint the... after the, uh, the MacGuffin if you can't monologue the whole time? Yeah, for fucking real. They're talking so much the entire run down here. And then, uh, he, like, swings at him at one point and he, like, knocks him off balance and cars, like, jumps through the air and then, like, catches the, uh, the, the redstone of Asia by, like, jumping out of the way. And then, uh, then Jojo's like, uh-uh-uh, I wasn't aiming for you at all. I was aiming for the snow. And he kicks uh-huh. up some snow, and it knocks the redstone of Asia off of him. I don't and know And then they both fall into a pit because well, he, like, sticks back his, like, foot blade. And he's like, a foot blade? I would have never seen that coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's they So he's... It looks like Jojo has the upper hand where he's managed to trick cars grabbed the stone and have cars be the only one falling to his death down a giant cavernous cliff, which this is the second week in a row where our hero is going to fall to his death down a giant cavernous cliff. And, uh, and so cars tricks or, uh, turns the tables back around by sticking out his, his toe hoof, his toe hook and snagging Jojo in the chest, which pulls him off in a completely physics defying move. And then there's, like, this whole thing. They they say it, like, three or four times during this entire sequence where they fall, which is that the the blade is, like, fusing with Jojo's body or something. But you know, it never manifests in any way other than that it's stuck in his chest. So yeah, Jojo... It's kind of dumb. They yeah, also it's weird. And then it doesn't come that... to anything because eventually Cars pulls the blade out himself. So there was no point yeah, to but... it. People in this world believe that anything that enters in, like, stabs somebody has become one from w- with that person. Yeah. That's, that's the lore that they be- they choose to believe. Uh-huh. Don't have sex with anyone from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so, JoJo... Well, what, what, we learned, what we learned from the first series is that just by holding hands, you can get pregnant. That's true. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> And so Jojo's father was this is a dangerous place. <laughs> so this is where like he learned sex ed in American schools and he was like, sure, just proximity is enough. <laughs> so uh <laughs> pregnancy by proximity. That's that's the American sex ed. Uh, oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> I, I uh 
we're going to get into another super stupid thing because for some reason when they were falling down, they were knocking off all of these icicles. By the way, if you never, if you've never knocked off an icicle and a bunch of other icicles, they will be all the exact same length and just the the right distance from each other to turn into a hammock rope, which is what he fucking does. Perfectly. It's, it's so the stupid. stupidest thing ever. Like he didn't know. I was like, "This is outrageous!" Like I am yeah. outraged by this happening. So, but my favorite part of the episode happens next, which is that before he hits the ground, Car sees some flowers, and he doesn't like to hurt living things that are like non-human yeah, or obnoxious. We saw him protect so he, a dog earlier, so this is a yeah. theme with him. So he like punches the side of like. <laughs> punches the side of like this chasm he's falling in and he like pinballs off the wall like 50 times a lot like a comical number of times it was so weird too because once he lands he looks down at the flower which is like to the side of his foot and i was like oh he was trying to avoid the flower but before this it just looks like he's looking at the ground and he like then (laughs) pinballs himself it's like what is he doing (laughs) then he does that fucking laugh oh yeah like at the bottom of the hill, he's like, he's like, I respect you, Jojo. You get to live another day. And then he just goes into like a full on, like, super villain tackle. Crazy and then he just like laugh. walks off into nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So then the episode's going to end to set us up for the next episode, which is basically it's the next day. And they found out the address that the Redstone of Ajo was being shipped to. And they're like, wherever they are staying, they're able to look out and see. That address leads to an abandoned hotel where all the windows are boarded up. And they're like, okay, so we know based off of what Cars told us that Wemu is in Greece. So he's on his way back here, but he's not here yet. And Cars has gone to hide from the sun in that hotel. We can deduce because that's where the the stone was being shipped. That must be where they're hanging out. So we're going to go take him down while he's by himself. And then... They're all in agreement except Jojo, which is surprising. But Jojo has a good reason to not go. And he's essentially like, uh, this is really dangerous because we're going to be walking onto their turf. They have clearly been using this place to hide from the sun for a while. So they probably are all prepared to take care of intruders. We can't just go waltzing in there without putting ourselves at a disadvantage. We should wait and let them come to us. It's a good idea, and Lisa Lisa agrees, and Caesar is having none of it. He gets real heated, and Lisa Lisa is basically like, as your sensei, I command you, like, we're going to wait for them to come to us tonight. And Caesar is like, I'm sorry, I have to disobey you. And he walks off by himself to go take them on alone, Um, which Lisa Lisa sends uh, Messina to go. (laughs) It's like red shirt Messina. She sends him to go prevent Caesar. I know she sends (laughs) him to go prevent Caesar from getting inside of the mansion. Uh, and then she's going to tell, uh, Jojo a story at the start of episode 20. Yeah. So this next episode is called young Caesar. This is all about how Caesar became Caesar. (laughs) This episode's really good. Actually, it was a little ridiculous when the fight started, but it's a great fight overall. Yeah, so what's going to be happening in this episode first is that we're going to find out that Caesar's, like, dad 
Um, he thought he was a complete asshole when he was a kid. And the reason why is because he thought his dad just abandoned him and his mother. Um, and uh, it, it, he came to find out later on, after kind of like palling around and being a dick. and Yeah, he becomes know, a delinquent because his dad terrible. left them. Yeah. Um, so he um, he then has this one point where he like... I can't remember how he got to the side of the tomb where he's like, ooh, that's a big diamond. It was just there. <laughs> it looked like he was fucking... The way that scene is set up is like he's like beating this guy to death with a wrench. And here's why. Yeah. Because the oh, guy... Yeah. Like his... For some reason, he is just this guy that used to beat people to death with a wrench. Uh-huh. And they say it in the show, too. They were like, he would hit people with a wrench for no reason. And well, I'm like, that is a psychopathic's see, tendency. <laughs> yeah, you see the dude that comes up to talk to him as like, he's like, who are you? And he goes, I'm Caesar. And he's like, what's your family name? And he goes, I don't have one. And he's like, you must not be Italian because Italians are really proud of their families. And then Caesar just beats him with a wrench. And then, like, it's, like, as that's happening, it, like, cuts to a shot of Caesar's father, and the narrator's like, one day he encountered his father, and the way it's cut together, it makes it look like while he's beating this dude to death, he looks up and sees his dad, and so he, like, runs over to his father, who, like, is suddenly not there, I guess, and instead Caesar sees this giant plaque wall of the pillar men with like a sparkly diamond in one of their hands. And he goes to reach out for it. I'm like, what is this on the streets of Venice where anybody can wander up? (laughs) And like, he's a, he's going to touch the diamond and his dad shows up and it's like, don't touch that. But it's too late because he does touch it. So his dad pushes him out of the way just in time for some of those vein tendrils to snake out and grab his dad and like, start to absorb him into the stone. And Caesar recognizes his dad, but his dad doesn't recognize Caesar because it's been six years and he's gone from being 10 to 16, which is not that much of a change usually for most people, but whatever. And <laughs> his dad is like, you have to go find Lisa Lisa. It'll be okay, young man. Tell Lisa Lisa what's happening here. And so Caesar, I guess he does, and that's how he learns Hamon, but he also gets a vendetta because he realizes that his dad like left them to protect them from like the evils of the world rather than because he was a dick. So I guess you shouldn't have beaten all those people with a wrench, huh? Oh my God. It's (laughs) insane that that is like his backstory. The characterization for these people. He's this guy that used to beat people to death with a wrench for no reason. Like you do when, when you have a minor family tragedy. Anyways, so um, Caesar is going to go over there. His mentor is going to try to stop him from going into this mansion for a minute. And then he's just like, ooh, what's that thing in there? And uh, Caesar's just like, no, wait, don't go in there. And the this, like, weird thing that he, I guess it's just like a, um, it almost looks like the ghost, uh, you know, the The ghost ghost of a dude. I thought it was going to turn out to be the ghost of Caesar's father. Yeah. But it, it's not. It's, it's not like at this, all. It's just... this invisible form that you, we as an audience, see appear very briefly as like this sort of trans, transparent human shape image, and basically Messina shows up and is like, "Caesar, what are you doing?" And Caesar's like, 
don't go near here. And then they're they're like, look, it looks like whatever it is made a footstep, but only one. And Caesar's like, it jumped. And then immediately Messina's arm is off. <laughs> and he's yeah. being dragged horror movie style into the bowels of the hotel. Yeah. He does not last long. No, I mean, he, technically, it it seems like he doesn't die, so I was wrong. He doesn't die, but he gets fucked up and is not helpful at all. Um, so he gets dragged inside, and then the invisible force, like, reopens the door, and it turns out that it's Wemu, who is, in fact, back from Greece all of a sudden. And he's able to come outside, and Caesar deduces that his power, which we already know Wemu's power, is some sort of control over wind. So it turns out that what Wemu is doing is he is, like, forming these little vents along his stomach so that he can expel the air from his lungs at a hyper-intensity around his body. And the air, along with, like, the water vapor contained in that breath, is creating some sort of light refraction field that makes him invisible and also protects him from the rays of the sun. So that he's not vampire killed, which is super strong, really ridiculous. And like, what are the limitations on this? This has to be super limited. And like, Wemu becomes visible during the fight outside, probably for our benefit as an audience. But like, this seems like a really powerful ability that has to be incredibly limited in order for it to make sense for like, who he is as a character and like, where he is on the totem pole. Yeah. For real. Um, so the the next uh, fight that is going to occur is the one that we've been talking about. The um, good one. So uh, Caesar has decided that he is going to fight against uh, uh, against uh, God. Why can't I remember his name? Wemu. Um, Wemu. He's Shamu's I, I cousin. Keep on just remember? wanting. I want to keep on calling him Cars. Um, but right. Anyways. So um, so Wemu uh, is going to be launching himself around. And uh, what we learn is that uh, Caesar has learned Bubble Beam in this time. Yeah, um, Caesar actually has learned say, Water Shuriken, which is Greninja's signature move. So Caesar is Greninja. Yeah, yeah he is He is using a lot of really badass techniques inside of this fight. It's cool! Um, we, we saw him use his bubbles before, and it was dumb. And now it's cool, and I'm down for it. Yeah. And it, one of one of my favorite one of the t- techniques that he uses is this one where he um uh he uses the uh he uses the bubbles uh I think it's I, I think it's the the first one that he uses where he turns them into like these little spinning discs. Yeah, they're um, they're basically shuriken essentially for for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. But they don't the, his hamon prevents them from bursting, so I guess they're shuriken that can keep like slicing you up until you deal with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then the, I don't think he uses another technique. I, I kept on thinking he has all of these different techniques, but I think it's really just this one, right? And then he's got this one that's like a tracking one. Uh, yeah, well, he, so it's kind of weird. Like basically Wemu's ability to protect himself outside by covering his body with wind is working against him. Because the bubble shuriken oh, are getting caught. The yeah, they're getting caught in the wind. And, like, the wind current has to stay, like, really tight and circularly around his body. So it's essentially just conducting them all over himself and slicing them up. So Wemu actually retreats inside. And then 
um, Caesar follows him. And then this is where he, he does some more bubbles. They, they have kind of like a trading of blows where like Caesar is launching bubble beams and Wemu is launching like, I don't know, gust or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> it's, they're kind of canceling each other out or dodging each other's attacks. And then eventually what happens? Like, does he land a good hit on Caesar or something like it? Oh, he's about to like, he's basically decided that like, this is going nowhere. And Caesar is a powerful enough enemy that when needs to use his ultimate attack, which is divine sandstorm, which is like a huge, super strong, devastating wind blast. So he is getting ready for it. And Caesar's is like, Oop, one second, I have something to tell you. And what I have to tell you is that my bubbles are all floating in the air above you and that they can be used like magnifying glasses. And so essentially he like uses the light from outside and conducts it through the bubbles to form like this kaleidoscope ray onto Wemu. And it is legitimately cool. Like I love this moment. The only thing that pisses me off is that for some reason he has the complete upper hand. There is no reason for him to use any other technique because this character is just going to die. He does no ability to get out of this at all. And so instead of just letting that happen, instead he jumps to kick Wemu. And yeah, it, in that split second when there's a little bit of shadow on Wemu, Wemu hits him with uh, like this divine sandstorm and just basic, almost kills Caesar instantaneously. Yeah, and he's going to end up having killed Caesar Caesar is basically done. Like he, he, the fight is over. He he is defeated. He basically can't use his ham on or whatever. Um, he no longer has the strength to continue on. Wamu knows this and announces it pretty gleefully. Um, Caesar has also lost a lot of blood, and so he's he is going to be terminal if something doesn't happen. Um, and Wamu kind of turns his back on him, and Caesar unexpectedly finds the strength to leap after him. But instead of trying to attack him, he's just grabbing Wemu's earring, which holds the antidote for Jojo's poisoning. Lip ring, lip ring. It looked like he grabbed it off of his ear, and then they called it a lip ring later, so I got confused. I'll go with lip ring, that's cool. So then Caesar realizes that he's lost and that he's going to die. So he thinks back on his family um, and he thinks back on his grandfather, which is Zapelli, who taught the original Jojo how to use Hamon and died in the battle against um, Dio. And then his father, who like vanished mysteriously to face off against the evils of the world. And he's like, this is my legacy as a member of the Zapelli family to stand up against evil. This has to be like my final stand. So I'm going to use my final Hamon. And he, he like, combines his Hamon energy with his bandana and the ring with the the um, antidote in it. And he, like, you know, turns into this giant, glowing, sort of Dragon Ball Z-esque field of energy. Meanwhile, we're watching, like, through their battles, part of the ceiling has been dislodged. And it's, like, slowly sliding out of place. And it is right above him. And it eventually falls on him. And I guess, like, he knew this was going to happen or whatever because he prepared for it. So he's, like, managed to get his ham on into this, like, blood bubble that contains his his bandana and the ring in a bubble floating of his blood and, like, all of the last of his life energy. <laughs> and then he gets smashed to death by a piece of ceiling in the shape of a cross 
which was pretty heavy-handed. And then, like, Wemu starts to pull the bubble over to him with his wind energy, and then he's like, no, Caesar was a valiant warrior. I respect him too much. I'm going to leave it here. Which is, it's the same shit from earlier, where it's like, I respect my enemy because they were, you know, full of heart, rather than, like, yeah, but they were still my enemy, and our goals are completely contrary to each other. And I'm like, this is his life energy. Like, you saw him. He spoke out loud about what he was doing, like, trying to transfer his life energy so that JoJo can have it later. Like, this might lead to your defeat, but you're just going to leave it here because he was a respectable dude. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's how this show works. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the the last episode is going to be whoa, whoa. all about how... JoJo's going to get the blood bubble, and they're going to have the super melodramatic grieving over Caesar's death, and then it's episode 21. Yeah, he also has this moment where he's just like, he talks about how Lisa Lisa is heartless because she can't do that. And then immediately he's like, no, actually, I understand everything in this moment. Uh-huh. Me being like, an idiot just a moment ago didn't actually matter. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> she's a bitch. Oh, wait, she's my teacher, so she can't show emotion because she has to be strong for me and show me the way. I get it now. Yeah. And it's like, just no change in anything except he just understands. Yeah, for some reason he just understands all of a sudden. It's so ridiculous. So anyway, we're in episode 21. That's our last one for the day. What's the title yeah, of it? It's called 100 Against 2, and it oh. is uh, not great. <laughs> it, it's not. It, it's a, So what's good about it is that it's a good setup episode. Like, by the end of it, I definitely felt tension and excitement for what was to come. But the content of this episode is dumb as fuck. Yeah, and also when they're like it's a hundred against two, be prepared. It's it's, it's not, not actually gonna. It's not. It's not actually gonna be that at all. It's like yeah, that's a red herring. Two. So also, there's gonna be something about vampire horses at some point. So get ready oh, for that shit. Um, so, anyways, oh, so so, so they are walking through this mansion, which is way more cavernous than I originally thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's um, like it's like the Overlook Hotel. Like that's the situation, but nobody's there, which I guess yeah is also how the Overlook Hotel works. So, <laughs> anyways, so he um they are going down. Lisa, Lisa, and Jojo are going down into the script. Um, they're following a trail of blood, and they run into this. Dumb vampire. I know he has a name, but I it's, refuse to talk I, about him. I wrote it down, so I'll take care of that for you. It's called his name is Wired Beck because of course I it hate is. it. I I kind <laughs> of like how they introduced him, but it's also dumb. So like yes. they introduce him because JoJo tries to open a door, but the door handle is actually like a petrified hand, and then it turns out that hand belongs to the vampire who was like molded with the door, and then he comes out. And he's gonna fight them. It's very dumb. Um, it's so anyways, stupid. Yes. So this vampire is going to come out, and this vampire has uh, body spike powers, so that uh-huh. he can hug you to death. Um, yeah. And he's he's talking uh, in some very chauvinistic ways to Lisa Lisa uh-huh. about how she can't do anything against him. And Lisa she's going to take him out, but first she's got to put her sunglasses on because she's uh, yeah. David Caruso from CSI Miami. I yeah! don't know why she puts her sunglasses on. <laughs> she does it for basically no reason. I'm, she keeps I'm them on forever. Like, She's got them on by the time this episode ends, which is hours later and at night. <laughs> I have no idea why she puts on her sunglasses. She it's, does it for particularly no reason, basically. I also don't remember her wearing sunglasses ever before. <laughs> so, yeah, like, what's so going on? 
I, I don't know. The only thing that I can think is that the person doing the anime was like, oh shit, she was wearing sunglasses, wasn't she? Oh man, I'm just gonna make her put them on. <laughs> yeah, just an accidental continuity error or some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he like saw it in the manga chapter and he was like, fuck, how do I get these on her? <laughs> So anyway, anyway, Lisa Lisa beats Wired Beck by wrapping him in her scarf. That's it. Yeah. It has Hamon in it, so he dies. That's it. Yeah, That's it's the real fight. Dumb. Anyways, so um, then we're going to go downstairs, and uh, we're going to see um, a couple of characters we've met before, um, particularly uh, Wamu <laughs> and Cars are going to show up. And there's also um, so many vampires and a uh-huh. hundred of them all living in the ceiling. Yeah, um, and, and Jojo doesn't notice, but Lisa Lisa does notice. And then Whamu gets in the most sexist line so far, I think. It is, it's, if you remember earlier when I was talking about 1960s Marvel, this is something that you would find not out of place in a 1960s Marvel comic book. The line I wrote down verbatim is, For a woman, you are quite decisive and insightful. Fuck that shit all day. That is not acceptable behavior. I know that this is supposed to be like 1930s or 40s, but like, that's not cool. And also, they're like thousands of years old, but that's still not cool. Yeah, yeah, it's not cool. It's actually kind of stupid. Yeah, Um, women are people too. Say it with me, women are people too. How our babbies get made. <laughs> How was Babby made? Anyways, so this episode is going to um, then turn into a very, very dumb thing, which is that Lisa Lisa is just going to be like, you should fight us one-on-one. And they're like, oh, we should fight them one-on-one. Well, no, they, why first they say, movie. fuck you, we're going to kill you with our 100 vampires, like the episode title yeah. suggests. She convinces them. She convinces them with a pretty good gamut, which is essentially that, one, we don't have the Redstone of Aja with us, which is true. Oh, yeah. And two, if you that. kill us, you're never going to get it because there's a time bomb on it that will blow it up to smithereens if we don't get back to wherever it is at a certain time, which is not true, but they don't know that. You're right, though. You're right. You're right. (laughs) So she convinces them they cannot risk losing the Redstone of Aja, and also, at least for Wemu's part, he definitely wants to fight Jojo one-on-one, and so he's down. Um, He's DTF. He is down to fight. And... um, (laughs) And... Then uh, they basically agree that, like, JoJo's going to go get the stone and bring it to this, like, I don't know. It's kind of a stonehenge sort of thing in the Swiss Alps. And uh, he's going to meet them there later. They're going to keep Lisa Lisa with them as collateral, which JoJo doesn't like, but she's like, nah, it's cool. So he goes. Um, he takes a second to we- mourn over Caesar again for a moment before he leaves and uh, off-screen grabs Messina's body, who they haven't mentioned his name or shown any concern for his whereabouts so far. So I thought they were about to full-on leave him there, because he was shown not to be dead. But, like, no, they remembered. He JoJo takes him back to the ski lodge of Apocalypse, and then uh, he grabs the stone, and he starts to rifle through Lisa Lisa's things, specifically because he's a pervert. He, like, makes some joke 
to himself about how maybe he should bring her a change of panties. And then while rifling through her stuff, finds this photo. And it's a photo of Lady Erina when she was much younger and Speedwagon and, um, oh shit, what's his name? Uh, fuck. I wrote it down. Oh, the guy, the guy who turned into a vampire at the start of part two. Um, yeah, I remember that. Damn it. It's over here. Strizo, um, who was one of Zapelli's, um, one of the guy who taught Zapelli's ham on. It was like one of his posse. And then he's the dude who turned into a vampire at the beginning of part two because he was afraid of dying. And um, so he's in the photo and he's holding a baby. So Jojo's going to bring this photo to the fight. He's going to show Lisa Lisa and she's going to be like, yeah, that baby is me. I was the baby on the boat that Erina rescued. And um, since Erina was pregnant, she gave me to Strizo, who was my foster father. And he's the one who taught me how to use him on. And so that's her story. And that's how she's connected to this whole fucking deal. Yeah. You want to take this last little bit, Spencer? Oh, no, I don't. I just want this episode to be over. Okay, so the last <laughs> little bit is they're like, they're standing there. They're, There's fucking vampire horses. <laughs> oh, my yes. God. I hate it so much. It's okay, so, so dumb. The end, of this, the end of this episode is like, oh, we're going to fight in this particular area. And they do this part where they're like, vampires, light the torches. And then they they have a whole bunch of like vampires that are over on the side. And they started getting like milled over by something that's coming very fast and furious. And it uh-huh. turns out to be giant vampire horses that they are about to fight on the back of on chariots. For uh-huh. some fucking stupid fucking reason. And the the guy no that's like leading in the vampire this. horses is like, move, cars and Wamu, I can't stop them. Their bloodlust is unquenchable. And then Wamu just like gives them a sultry look and they stop right in front of him. And it's so stupid. It's only ju- it's just to enhance the drama to unbearable levels. And so there's these vampire horses. They're normal horses, but they have red eyes and sharp pointy teeth. And um, so Wamu's like, here's the deal. We're going to have a one-on-one battle, but it's going to be a Roman-style chariot battle. Because, sure. And Jojo's like, well, fuck you. Those horses are vampires, so you have charge of them, right? And he's like, no, the reins are ham-on, so you can control them. And I guess they're cool with that. So we're going to go into the final confrontation, which which it does seem to be the final confrontation, because there's only, I think, five more episodes left in part two. So, uh... In four weeks, we're going to come back to JoJo. We're going to finish part two. And then I guess we'll go into part three, unless you guys don't want us to. Uh, let us know <laughs> about that. But uh, part three is where they finally get stands. So I'm looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, we're almost Anyways, done. Stick with us. <laughs> uh, we will be back uh, after these credits uh, with our, um, I don't know, what's happening next week. Wow, that was really <laughs> inspirational. <laughs> Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level 5 sound wizard. Our podcast is ad-free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon members get exclusive member content and unlock group perks. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. 
Reviews help us chart on iTunes. And remember, new episodes come out every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Somebody's eyes are going to turn red, and you know what that means. Somebody's going to die. That's what it means. Every anime.